Well, hello and welcome to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. One of the very few podcasts in English that talks exclusively about the Copa Libertadores. And this year, and in this podcast, we were talking about the first legs of the semi-finals between River Plate and Boca Juniors, the Super Classico. I'm going to say arguably, even though this is a podcast, so it doesn't work. Please put the word arguably in brackets. Arguably the biggest game in club football. And in the second semi-final, the first leg is between Gremio and Flamengo. Uh, the second legs take place in the third week of October. and We'll be covering it on the podcast throughout. This week on the pod, I was in Great Britain in my little humble abode uh, in southwest London. And Mr. Ollie Wilson was a long way away in the epicentre in Buenos Aires, Ollie. Sunny Buenos Aires, I believe. Sunny Buenos Aires in the heart of the hipster central district of Palermo, Hollywood. <laughs> watching out over the uh, the pool at the apartment complex that I've been denied from heading down to this morning because... I've decided to have a chat with you about all things Libertadores. And I love that you're bringing in both a written and visual element into a purely audio-based medium with uh, describing the brackets around arguably. Very, that, that is niche. That is niche even for me. <laughs> but <laughs> can I just delete the word arguably then? Is it the biggest game in, in, in club football? It might be. I guess we'll find out when the uh, semi-finals are done and dusted and what's happened. It certainly is. Nah, but as a, as a spectacle, I mean... It's one know, of the biggest derbies in world football and I think cons- you, could say, you could say arguably you could say arguably <laughs> I think it's the most colourful combination of a rivalry born out of social disparity and footballing quality shall we say okay because you've got the the rich area of uh, River Plate where they play at the Monumental even though, and you've got yeah, the Bombonera even, yeah. down in Boca the working, yeah, it's, working class roots. At least that's how the narrative goes. Yeah, which once a football narrative is set, then you can't uh, you can't uh, take it apart. But yeah, I, I mean, I think it's the biggest. I, I was gonna I was gonna list off a, a whole ream of derbies: Fenerbahce, Galatasaray, Rangers, Celtic. Uh, you know, Ajax, Feyenoord. But nothing. I mean, I I don't think. Anything is as big. Look, we'll find out because if this city burns to the ground and we're not able to come back to Buenos Aires after the semi-finals because there is no such city left as Buenos Aires and it's because of what's happened in the uh, two legs between Boca and River, I think we can probably safely say that no other football rivalry has destroyed a capital city of a country. If that happens, it's out and out guaranteed the biggest game in world football. <laughs> okay, uh, enjoy the podcast. <laughs> Takes it down, takes the strike on, and finds Boca in front. Might be a second one here for Bruno Enrique. Into the bottom corner, double delight on the night for Flamengo. Decisive from 12 yards, and the Brazilians are well and truly in the driving seat now. This is McAllister to go. It took an inflection. You can't take it away from the debutant. Uh, sunshine's out now, but I think the, the Indian summer that we've had in London's finally kind of disappearing away. And it is now, uh, it is now winter. But I take it, 
in the southern hemisphere, things have been a little nicer. Yeah, uh, it's not quite an Indian summer. It's certainly the start of the Argentinian spring, though. And uh, yeah, it's been very nice indeed. I've been relaxing on the rooftop balcony, watching the sport on the weekend. The sun has been shining. It was a bit chilly yesterday. I didn't do any sunbathing yesterday. And I've been okay. working. You've, you've basically kept me in my apartment all morning, Windsor with your demanding of the, us doing this show. So I haven't been able to go up upstairs and sit out with my iPad and browse through all the uh, all the ongoings of Brexit back home and things like that. I've been stuck very rooted small, to the laptop. A very small window, window of opportunity for this podcast. So yeah, we've, we've squeezed it in. I believe we'll actually be crossing crossing in the skies at some point, maybe on uh, in the small hours of Sunday morning. Wilson. I, will, uh, I will wave to you from my economy seat at the back of the Iberia flight, flying with them for the first time. So that's going to be interesting, especially with the yeah, likewise. Yeah, likewise. Should be fun. I'll get on the... Um, uh, if they've got some Wi-Fi, then I'll jump on it and uh, try and track you on that little plane, uh, <laughs> plane tracker app we've got, which is smart. It's getting weird, uh, this. It's getting weird. We've hung out too much in <laughs> South America, I think. Not enough, Mr. Wilson. Right. It's the business end of the tournament. That it is. I mean, it's been the business end of the tournament since the knockout stages, I guess. But this is where this is where big money's made in terms of the business end of the tournament. Now, this is where legacies are going to be created. Legends are formed from heroes throughout the 180 minutes of the two semi-finals that we've got coming up. Really, I I, I didn't is know that where scripted intro Wilson because that's smart. I, that was that Peter Drury esque, <laughs> I think. No, I'd love to say I'd just written nice. that down. That was me just rambling off the top of my head, helped out by a bit of black coffee here. But uh, beautiful. We've we've got two semi-finals to look at, and I was I wasn't sure which one we should start with, and you made the executive decision uh, as always, Windsor. Of look, we should start with the big one. So, I guess it should be the Super Classico to look at first and foremost. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be uh, River against Boca, uh, the first of two legs, of course, of the semi-final, a repeat of last year's final. Uh, what can you say when the draw was laid out after the groups you could see the path for both sides to meet in the semi-final it's happened for Boca it's the chance for revenge and it's a chance for revenge I imagine far quicker than they imagined you know within 12 months they've all of a sudden got this incredible opportunity to to find revenge and for River it is what an opportunity to double down on dominance and for River to show that they are by far the better of the two sides and uh, yeah it's going to be fascinating it's definitely, I think, as you mentioned, the earliest opportunity that Boca perhaps thought they'd be able to get revenge. As we've touched on on occasion, I think it's the perfect opportunity as well because it's not the final, which is frustrating, I'm sure, because they were beaten in the final last year in the Libertadores by River Plate. But it is a two-leg encounter and it's not on neutral ground. It's home and away. So it's almost a carbon copy of what happened aside from the Troubles last year. So if Boca can win, they can say, look, we can stand our own over two legs in the biggest competition on this tournament, home and away against you, and we can put you out, and we are going to win the first Copa Libertadores on a neutral venue, on a one-night-only encounter, after beating you over two legs. So it is a huge opportunity to give that middle finger up to River Plate. Um, But at the same time, I, I just don't... I don't back Boca. <laughs> They're so miserable to watch. And, uh, and we'll, yeah. we'll run through how Boca got to the final in just a moment. But I do think if you're River, you're kind of looking at this and feeling very confident about the way that this Copa Libertadores has gone and feeling yeah. very confident taking on your arch rival. Yeah. 
Yes, yes, I do agree with you, Ollie, definitely. Based on anyone that's watched any of the kind of Libertadores this year or last, you'd think that. But then I just, I looked at the Argentine Superliga table today, and if you hadn't followed any of the Libertadores and you looked at it, you were like, hang on, Boca are top. They haven't conceded a goal in seven games in the Superliga. River lost, you know, River lost the other night. So let's, let's, I mean, River at home in the first leg at the Monumental, just to go through how they reached the semi-final stage of the competition. Well, I mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't particularly pretty in the group. They came through a group against Internacional, Palestino and Alianza Lima, really poor group, only won two games out of six, only had to win two games out of six. There were no real memorable games. Oli, I remember you did the 2-2 away at Internacional, didn't you? Mm. You covered that one. Yeah. And that was, you know, that I remember you talking about it and I've obviously seen the highlights since and that was a super entertaining game but from the group river it was just about a case of them them doing enough and then um you know after they qualified from the group they played cruzero over two legs there were no goals they won in a penalty shootout again you know squeezing through against cruzero and they come through against Sarah Porteño, 3-1 looks comfortable on aggregate. Actually, in the second leg in Asuncion, there was a moment, there was a small period in the on the night and in the tie where you really did feel as though Sarah Porteño were going to do something special. Didn't happen. That's River's part of the semi-finals. Hasn't been spectacular by any stretch. You've seen flashes, you've seen little 20-minute spells here or there. Great little moments from Nico de la Cruz or Nacho Fernandez. But, you know, overall, it hasn't been great for River. Uh, what about Boca, Oli, and, and their route to the last four of the competition? Uh, Boca, it's not the easiest route, uh, much like River Plate. They were tested by Atletico Paranaense in the group stage, drawing a group with Atletico Paranaense, Deportivos Tolima of Colombia, and Jorge Wilstermann, and the Bolivian whipping boys uh, of that group, Group G, in the, uh, in the early stages. But Boca able to get through despite a hefty defeat away from home against Atletico Paranaense 3-0. The Brazilians gave them a scare as well on home soil in the final group game as those two battled it out for the top spot. But a red card in that game to Wellington, helping Boca to come from behind after Marco Ruben's goal and Carlos Tevez with the 90th minute winner to ensure that Boca went through with top spot. They were then drawn against Atletico Paranaense in the first round of the knockout stages. And we were thinking, this is going to be fantastic. This is what we want to see. A bit of Boca against Paranaense once more. Brazil against Argentina. Benedetto was gone as well. The star centre forward after his move to Marseille. But in came Alexis McAllister getting the vital away goal in the first leg. Abela and Salvio, the new arrival, getting goals in the second leg at home and a 2-0 victory, 3-0 on aggregate. And then the hipster's choice, Liga de Quito. They were expected to fall up at the heights and altitude in Ecuador, but Boca getting a convincing 3-0 victory and then happy to cruise to a 0-0 in the quarterfinal second leg that puts them against River Plate in this semi-final. And I think, to be honest, out of the whole of their path through this competition for Boca Juniors, one thing that we have seen is that their style of football plays in to Libertadores football completely, particularly on the road, as we've seen in the knockout stages. They were very good in Brazil against Atletico. And definitely, I'm not going to say against Paranaense because you and I both know, Windsor, that we get told off a lot around the office <laughs> by the uh, Brazilian contingent for saying that. Uh, and against Liga de Quito as well. You know, we were expecting a very open game from Liga de Quito, trying to spread the play. But Boca just funnel and, and kill off that centre of the pitch so well, remain really tight, and then use the quick pace of someone like Abila 
to be one choppy, as they call him, to be able to then strike quickly and effectively too. He misses quite a few chances, but he will eventually get goals if you give him three or four opportunities. And they're able to do that in part because of the creative quality they have down the centre of the field. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the way Boca are, are set up, and we saw in the Super Clasico in, in the Argentine Superliga that finished 0-0 in a spectacularly boring game at the Monumental, you could see, I think, what exactly what Alfaro and exactly what Boca are going to do in the first leg. And it's because River are the defending champions as well. Boca, of course, it's, 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 it's Boca Juniors, you know, but they could, they've almost got a pass to go to the Monumental and put five in midfield, which I'm almost, Zarate might not even be fit, but if he is, I don't think he's going to play. I think he's going to play Reynoso and Salvio as the two wide players, the three tight in midfield with Alexis McAllister. Abila, if he is fit, uh, which I believe he will be, then he'll lead the line. They'll just pack the midfield and, and look for a nil-nil or a 1-1. Um, so the Super Classico in the Super League, I think was a great, uh, a great demonstration of what Boca are going to try and do in that first leg. And it's going to be up to River to break them down. But, I mean, no goals conceded in seven Argentine Super League games. Across all competitions, one goal conceded in 12. I mean, it is, it's ridiculous. Yeah, they are so bland and boring, but so effective. I was trying to think of a side that was is similar to that, of perhaps maybe the early Premier League days or around European football. And the... The only one I can maybe think of is Juventus at times, actually, in the last couple of seasons, where they've gone off the boil after relatively bright starts at times, or when Roma went out to a big early lead in Serie A, and then Juve just ground them down over the next few weeks with these miserable, boring at times, 1-0 victories, 1-0, 1-0, built on defensive solidarity. And it's, uh, it's often used by American sports fans this cliche of defense wins championships but it does and, and, and Alfaro has seen this and and as I say has created a style of football that they look so solid defensively they never look shaken there's always support either for the fullbacks or for the center backs in the heart of the pitch by whoever's dropping deep from midfield just to help come and cover and it makes it an impossible team to try and break down and that's one thing going into this game that I think River Plate, we've seen, can play very neat and tidy football around the top of the 18-yard box. And they are able to carve out a few chances, even when teams sit back. But they've not faced a team as good defensively as Boca Juniors. And we didn't really get to see a glimpse of it in the Super Classico in the league. But I am interested to see if River, over 90 minutes, particularly on home soil, can find a way to have that extra bit of penetration because they haven't often got out of second gear in this tournament yet. They need to have that one additional creative spark around the final third to break down this Boca side. And that, that is, I think, where we're going to see the majority of this game kind of played in the middle of the park and just on around the edge of Boca Juniors' def, uh, defensive third of the pitch in, in the Monumental. And that will make or break River's chance, I think, in the in the first leg. Yeah, I mean, we've seen what happens if you play high up the pitch against River. We were at the game the, in the Superliga against Racing, where River just picked them off. And we saw it again in the Superliga against Huracan recently. So if you play a high line against River, they might struggle. But what they might uh, they might excel, rather, because it's, it's so easy for them to, to kind of unstitch that high line. But Boca, as you said, they're going to drop deep. Andrada's in fabulous form. So are the two centre-backs. So it's a real test, I think, for River. It's a real test for Nico de la Cruz and Palacios and one or two others to, to, try to, to try to 
pick the hole and, and find a way through. And you really wouldn't back against another nil-nil at the Monumental. Not at all. And then you look at Boca's uh, home record in the Libertadores and say, well, second leg after a nil-nil in the Monumental, this is Boca's to throw away at that point. I always think it's more difficult uh, if you're playing that first leg on home soil because you don't know where the tie is at that point. So you don't know if you can afford to be a little more aggressive or if you should try and sit back and try and snatch something on the road. Whereas if you're away in the first leg, I think you can say, we're setting out a stall. Here's our game plan. We can try and hit on the counter-attack and perhaps try and get a draw away from home and then have confidence in, in your home form to be able to go in the second leg back to buy home support and be that little more aggressive in nature, uh, which I also think helps Boca. But you're talking about the defensive record of, of Boca over the last few weeks and the quality that they've had. River, aside from the uh, stumble in the Super Cup against Tejeres de Colombia, uh, de, de Colombia excuse me, and um, uh, River Plate losing to Velez as well on the weekend, they too, though, have been very solid defensively, only conceding mm. one or two goals. I mean, you mentioned the one goal conceded against Racing Club away from home. But aside from that, you know, you have to go back to uh, a Copa Argentina game against Gimnasia Mendoza back in uh, July for their last goal conceded in a really competitive game, uh, aside from the one against Cerro Pateno as well. But it's only like the odd, the odd goal that creeps through this defensive side. Both of them relatively untested in a defensive sense domestically a lot of the time. And and again, I think we'll see the best that will have to come out of both defensives over the two legs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, what's interesting as well in this in this semi-final is how River are kind of, you know, they've been consistent in terms of their team from, from last year's final to this year's semi-final. You'll find it, it's eight, nine of the starting 11 at the Monumental played some part in the final last season, whereas for Boca, it's kind of all changed. And both sides now have got relatively settled lineups in terms of who's going to decide the outcome of the first leg and the semi-final. Well, I mean, what do you think, Ollie? Like, I know for Boca, we've we've talked a lot about Alexis McAllister, and, and now it looks like he is being played more centrally where he wants to play in that five-man midfield. Um, I know Ramon Abila gets loads of stick in Argentina, but I really do feel he's key for Boca. The way they're set up, everything, he is the focal point. And when he's on form and he's got his back to goal and he brings others into play, it, it, you know, the way he plays suits Alfaro's tactics so well. And I, I just think he... He could be key for, for Boca if they're going to snatch an away goal. Uh, that was the man actually I was thinking of in terms of, as, as you mentioned, we, we wax lyrical about McAllister since his arrival. I don't even want to touch Daniele De Rossi, to be honest, uh, as being like a major impact in this game because I personally, when I've watched Boca since uh, leaving Argentina in the end of August and when I've caught highlights, I, I haven't seen anything from De Rossi. You know, he scored in a, in a loss in the cup, which was humiliating yeah. for Boca, but they still were kind of saying, oh, look, De Rossi's on the score sheet. This is amazing. I mean, it's I was sceptical about his arrival in the first place, and, and I've not seen anything that has changed my mind on that in any way, shape or form in his uh, three league appearances. Yeah, it takes nothing away from the story, does it? But the fact is he hasn't... It doesn't hasn't add to come it. In and, no, no, it doesn't. And he ha- he's actually got a little knock at the moment, so... Uh, you know, who knows if he'll even um, well, be on the bench next week. Oh, but, old, uh, old man. Yeah. I, I also think, though, um, <laughs> uh, one of the other new arrivals, though, Salvio, is yeah, going yeah, to be a, a huge playmaker because he he's certainly the man who's had to take on from uh, the mantle from Nathan Nandez, who you were absolutely uh, 
don't want to say you had a man crush on him or anything like that, Windsor, but you certainly were, were a big fan and a, a big proponent of his quality, yeah. particularly to be able to play wide as somebody who's naturally more of a central midfielder. Salvio is filling in that role. He will be the link man into Abila and, and he has to be the person to provide for the centre forward at that point. And I think that's more important particularly in the first leg, then the second for Bocker, if they're going to snatch an away goal perhaps against River Plate. Uh, I think he being able to break out and lead counter-attacks from the back and, and to take the ball out of that clustered heart of the pitch and move it into space and then play the telling pass is probably going to be the big one for Bocker. I mean, Nico De La Cruz for me for River Plate is certainly the yeah. man to watch. He's so exciting. Yeah. He's so young. He's got that youthful energy and playing without any fear at the moment. And as this tournament has gone on, he has got better and better and better to the point that you saw it against Serra Porteño in that second leg away from home. He was really, really good and a wonderful finish as well, obviously. I mean, we can coo about the goal all the time, but his general quality over the 90 minutes is, is running off the ball and his movement. It doesn't seem to stop a lot of the time and he's got such fantastic energy on and off the ball. He's always looking to pass. He's not a selfish player as a youngster. I think he, if they can get him working, he can be the X factor in that final third to be able to create and be able to finish as well against this Boca defence. He's so exciting, you know, and he's another one that I feel like is a little bit underrated when you're actually got your foot on the ground in Buenos Aires and you're talking to people. He, I don't feel like he gets the credit of what his kind of capacity could be as a footballer. He's only 22 and like you say, great goal against Cerro Porteño and he, he looks really dangerous. And of course, Juan Fernando Quintero uh, is coming back from injury and might play some part. Well, he definitely will in the second leg, might play some part in the first leg. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, we'll have to wait and see with that. And that's um, huge. That is huge. Yeah, yeah. If I mean yep. that's the story written in the stars, isn't it? For the mm -hmm. second leg to silence the bombonera, isn't it? For for Quintero, but we'll wait. And see. I mean, football has a habit of just you can see these stories coming a mile off. But they they haven't. Yeah, absolutely. They haven't missed him a great amount in terms of being able to get through to this part of the competition. And a lot of credit has to go to Gachado for that. But at the same time, again, when you're talking about that final third quality, like he's somebody that, could, again, will be able to provide that if he can come back and be fit and healthy and ready ready to go and, and, and has to get going from the straight away, kind of from the ground well, up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's right back into it, isn't it? I mean, but you do get the sense, let's say it's nil-nil at the Monumental after 70 minutes and Gachado feels as though Quintero's got, got 10, 15 minutes or not even the time he's got a moment in him. He's fit enough for that moment. Then, uh, then we will, we will see him next week. So that should be super interesting. We're expecting it to be, you know, rivers attack trying to break down this unbelievable Boca defense. But I mean, who knows, mate, it's, it's a super classico. And, um, I mean, yeah, that, that, that would be the clear narrative that you would suggest going into the game. But really, I mean, who knows anything could happen, right? Unfortunately, somebody did say, oh, these Super Classicos generally tend to be... Uh, we were teased last year with the final two cracking games of football, really, in the end. And particularly the mm. one of the Bombonera was end-to-end. -end. But I've been told by a number of people that these, these Super Classicos generally play out like that nil-nil. So we just need to hope that the, the South American football bubble that we often find ourselves in, Windsor, just gets us through what potentially is some drab semi-finals between two of the biggest sides on this continent. Not that yeah. I want to play it down too much. <laughs> and what about um, what about what about the managers, Ollie? I mean, as far as you got to respect a man who's got who's got to, you know, when he joined Boca, I don't think anyone was was cracking open the champagne. But he's a very kind of safe choice. He's got a principle. He's got a way of playing. He's got players now that do fit into that system with a hard-working midfield with Abila leading the line. Um, you know, he's got that clear 
principle that he's prepared to, to live or die by. And for Boca, the end justifies the means. You know, if it's nil-nil after two legs and they go through on a shootout and they knock out River and lift the Libertadores, then they're going to build a statue of Alfaro. <laughs> yeah, um, quick to, and, quick well, to ne- build the statue Nico- outside of Bombonera there, man. <laughs> well, Nico might with his spade and cement. I don't know. But I mean, listen, if, if he's the manager that, that manages... Because Boca fans would have been thinking, oh my God, we've lost the biggest match of all against our our most hated rivals this is going to take five ten fifteen years to get over you know we're gonna have to go and win another five super leaguers or something to get over this and within 12 months as I say to be given the opportunity to do this I, I just think it's huge for Boca and I mean you know if River win then it's uh Oof, I don't know if Boca fans have a leg to stand on. Well, if if River win and win and win the Libertadores again, Gachado gets the statue outside the Monumental. For me, there's, there's almost no doubt about that. He'll go down as the one of the most successful managers, arguably the most successful manager, the greatest manager, as particularly in the way that he vanquished Boca in the Libertadores, the the trophy that both these two clubs clamour for more than anything else in in, in River Plate's history. Uh, yeah, in, the most successful. Yeah. In terms of Alfaro. Yeah, a lot of people said stopgap early on in this tournament when we were talking about Alfaro. You know, oh, we had to bring him in from Huracan. You know, it's just to kind of settle the ship, get everything sorted, rebound from the humiliation of the Libertadores. And, you know, somebody will come in in a year or two's time and that's when they get the chance for revenge. He's got a similar kind of demeanour as like an Arrigo Sacchi or a Marcello Lippi. I don't want to go back to 90s Italian football once again, but, you know, it's dear to Strong my heart. Strong reference points, which are a familiar trend, but I like it. Dear to my heart, Windsor, dear to my heart. <laughs> uh, but these kind of managers, that they sit there on the touchline and they just don't care. Like, we'll win wh- whatever way we need to win. The, the old man with the grey hair, but has got that fighting spirit. He's not the old man slumped in the corner looking a little bit worried, like a Roy Hodgson mm. or something like that that you get on, a, on the sideline at Crystal Palace. It's a man that stands tall. He's confident in the football that he's playing. And it's almost like he knows that it's not great football. And he, and, <laughs> yeah. and he doesn't, give a, doesn't give a damn. And he has been no. given the, the keys to the car and been given the golden opportunity to right those wrongs from last year. And he will try and right them in the way that he's found success throughout this tournament. He's not going to change. He's going to be an absolute stickler with it. It's going to be that, that old man stubbornness, if you will. And... Uh, maybe they won't build a statue of him, but I think it will suddenly. The, the <laughs> you think I've over egged that one? Uh, just a touch, just a touch. Uh, I don't know what you think you need to get a statue built outside a football ground. I don't know. Maybe some of these long-standing season ticket holders, uh, like eighty years old, oh, I've been going for forty years, can get one in your eyes, Windsor. But Alfaro will certainly be suddenly praised, and I imagine given a hefty extension on the contract as well, because they might see, well, this is a guy that knows how to win Libertadores football as a style that does it. And this is the man that we want to keep around for a few more years to try and then replicate the the fantastic run that River have had in the last few years or so under Gachado in this competition. And if River win, let's say not even if River lift the trophy, if River put out Boca, go to the final and lose against Flamengo or something, does Gachado then say, look, you know, I've won two Libertadores titles or potentially three um, if he does lift it this year. I'm going to go now. Paris Saint-Germain, I want to come to you. Or I mean, he could. I'm not going to say he could have his pick of the European clubs because he certainly couldn't because uh, he hasn't proven anything in Europe, obviously. But 
you know, he used to play in France. He speaks French. That would be um, a big club in France would be the obvious way forward. Or maybe he's, you know, he wants to, to would stay even further and cement his legacy. But uh, that's kind of hypothetical, I suppose. I think the only way he would go would be to PSG or perhaps Marseille. I don't think there are other clubs in France that would be big enough to lure him away from River Plate unless he sees it as the perfect time to go. But if he goes and those jobs aren't available, I mean, PSG change every few years, so Thomas mm. Tuchel might be gone by that point, depending on how his Champions League campaign goes. But at this point in his career, I don't know why you wouldn't go unless there's a bigger job in Europe like that. And I don't think he's going to get offered that many, aside from in France. And I'm not sure, even the Monaco job, you know, they're struggling so much right now. So I, I, there's a big part of me that just doesn't see him leaving Argentina yet because there isn't the opportunity in the right other place to go. Now, whether he steps away from River and decides to be go out as an iconic hero if they win it, then yeah, for sure. But I also think he'll probably fancy his chances of getting this side back to, uh, back to the Libertadores semi-final again next year if they don't win it. There's a real, yes. there's a, an immense legacy that he can carve out. And it's not just based around his suits and sweatshirt combos every so often. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And it's so rare for any manager to stay at a, a South American club for so long, let alone stay and be um, be so successful, lifted the Libertadores as he had has done. Uh, predictions then, Mr. Wilson? Uh, just for the first leg predictions. Just for the first leg, I will go with a nil-nil draw. Not in, not that <laughs> it's not because I'm sitting on the fence, but I'm buying into the rhetoric of we're going to build this up and then there's going to be an anti-climax because I think Boca will just go and try and kill it. Absolutely kill it. Maybe try and sneak one like they did against Paranaense. Try and hit on the counter every so often. Frustrate mm. River. River end up dealing with long shots from distance as so many clubs have done against Boca in the knockout stages. And then Boca go back and eventually get it done in the Bombonera. Sorry, you only said the first leg but that that's the tail of the tape for me. <laughs> uh you know what i'm also gonna say nil nil i i just think sitting I, on I the don't fence think... are unbelievable nah, but it's not so... I th- i'm gonna say nil nil in the first leg and then uh and then all bets and then at la bombonera like it could get crazy because Boca cannot sit back at la bombonera uh you know against river and it'll be a really open game and be about 3-3 or something. But in the first leg, I can't see anything anything other than 0-0. Than or maybe if River have have a moment, then uh, or 1-0 either way, really. But uh, yeah, 0-0 I'm going to go for as well. Well, we're, we're really encouraging people to jump to their TV sets and find the, find the streams for this one, aren't we? Bloody hell. Well, let's hope that the uh, all-Brazilian semi-final provides a few more goals in the first leg, at least as Grêmio will host Flamengo in the first leg. In uh, in Belo, no Porto Alegre, excuse me, not Belo Horizonte. I'm still dealing with the Brazilian map here. Um, mm. Winter, this is perhaps not the semi final that we were hoping for of another big derby because it could have been Internacional against uh, against Grêmio, of course. But is it the right semi final? Because we haven't got the two big sides either in terms of Palmeiras and Flamengo against each other either. It's a bit of a hodgepodge of a all Brazilian clash considering what we saw when the uh, quarterfinal draw was done. Yeah, definitely. I think for I think for Flamengo they'd way prefer to play Grêmio than Palmeiras who Grêmio knocked out in the in the quarterfinals to reach the final four. Um I think it's really interesting Grêmio. I mean in many ways they're the underdog because Flamengo are in terms of like being supported they're the biggest club in in Brazilian football but Grêmio have won the Libertadores three times. This is their third straight semi-final appearance in the competition. They know what they're doing here. 
And for Flamengo, they haven't reached the final or won it when they did in 1980, since 1981. So that's what that's what creates a really interesting dynamic, I think. I think all the pressure is on Flamengo. There's no doubt about that. The money they spent, the size of the football club, the form they're in is, is, is crazy. So um, I don't know. It's obviously not a free hit for Gremio because it's the last four of the Libertadores. But I think maybe going into it as the underdogs, as they did against Palmeiras, will, will suit them. Um, in terms of uh, Gremio's run... Uh, to the final, they came through, again, it wasn't very spectacular. They came through Group H against Libertad, Universidad Católica and Rosario Central. Won three of their six games, ended up with 10 points. And then um, in the round of 16, they thrashed Libertad, who were really poor, 5-0 over two legs. And a really entertaining two legs in the quarterfinals against Palmeiras. Uh, and there was so much pressure on Palmeiras. And um, eventually, Gremio, eventually Gremio went through on away goals in that. Uh, and, and Everton essentially won them the tie in, in about a five-minute spell in the second leg uh, to win 2-1. So it was really interesting, and, and yeah, Gremio in the final four. And Flamengo also not exactly, Oli, uh, an easy passage to the, to the semi-finals. No, life made very difficult indeed in Group D with uh, Liga de Quito, Peñarol and San Jose, the Bolivian side. Again, another Bolivian whipping boy. I feel so sorry for the clubs from that nation in the Libertadores this year. But it... Flamengo were able to top the group in the end after a very stuttering start. They lost away at Peñarol early in the group stage. They were able to beat Liga de Quito on, on home soil, uh, winning away against San Jose as well, a big three points away from home. They won 6-1 against the Bolivians on home soil in the group stage and then kind of stumbled towards the end of it, losing away at Liga de Quito, as many did, 2-1 in the uh, second-to-last group game, and then a 0-0 draw at Peñarol to be able to secure a spot. They were by far the better side, though, against Peñarol in that final group game, just about giving them enough to go through as group winners on goal difference with uh, Liga de Quito in second. Then they came up against Emelec, away from home, in Ecuador in the first leg of the round of 16, and lost 2-0 and had it all to do back at the Maracanã. But Gabriel Barbosa, their star centre forward, able to get two goals inside the opening 20 minutes for a 2-0 lead early on in the second leg. But they couldn't add to it and they looked stretched at times. Emelec had their chances, but it would eventually go to penalties and Flamengo would find a way through. And then against Internacional in the quarterfinals, it was a 2-0 comfortable victory on home soil against a rather flaccid Internacional side throughout both legs of the quarterfinal. And then a 1-1 draw away from home in Porto Alegre. Gabriel Barbosa on the score sheet once again with the 85th minute goal to get the one-all draw and to get that away goal that wrapped up the tie completely. They have got better and better as the tournament has gone on, but they've still never quite looked perfect. And there were times in that second leg against Internacional that you did still worry for Flamengo, particularly when they played against Internacional, when they had their wide players, their youth and their speed on the pitch when Wellington and Nico Lopez came on. And if there's one thing you would say about Gremio going into this tie, it's that their wide players have youth, have speed, and have mm. quality. And yep. th that could be a big game changer for, uh, for Flamengo against Gremio in how people actually look at this tie. Because you're right, Flamengo are the big side. They've spent a lot of money. They've brought in a lot of quality as well. They're trying to bring in yep. that European style with Felipe Luis and Rafinha coming back at the fullback positions. And, of course, Jorge Jesus, uh, Jorge Jesus, excuse me, uh, taking over the mantle as manager this season and has really tried to adapt this team into his own style and the, and the kind of football that he wants to play. And generally, it looks fantastic when it's, when it's all firing. But they do leave themselves slightly exposed at the back when they're, when they're stretched a little. And that's where Gremio, I think, can get their joy. 
Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, Flamenco are in such great form as well. That You mentioned Jose Jesus and, you know, that European flavour that he's brought. And we've seen a lot and we've talked a little bit about how defensive solidity in the Libertadores can be very effective. Boca is a great example. But as you say, when Flamengo tick, they really do look fantastic. They look like a really... In fact, um, someone we both know, a big Flamengo fan, uh, Pedro Oli, he sent me a message saying, this Flamengo side's the best I've ever seen. I think they could survive in the Premier League. And I don't think he's so far off with it. I don't think he's so far off with it, you know. When they look good, they're really good. They've won seven straight games in, in Brazil, uh, in the Brazilian League, the top of the Brazilian League. You know, they're absolutely flying. Gabriel Barbosa... Who I know didn't make it at Inter, but he's still 23. And it's really hard to see when January rolls round, regardless of what happens to Flamengo in the Libertadores this year. I mean, he scored 17 goals in 16 league games. He's been great in the Libertadores. It's really hard to still see him being at Flamengo, um, you know, come come the European January transfer window. But but we'll see. But for Flamengo, there's, there is huge pressure. There really is huge pressure to win something big uh, this season. And I mean, 1981, so, so long ago now to... For their only Libertadores triumph for, for Gremio. They've been here before and they know what to do. And uh, yeah, it should be very interesting. I don't want to press the issue so much with Gremio, but I still do wonder where the goals come from aside from Everton. Mm. I mean, that Palmeiras game, A, for Gremio to get past Palmeiras was a, a bit of a surprise. I think going into the quarterfinals, most people we spoke to said it, it should be Palmeiras going through. And they've just had a wonderful... Uh, messing the bed moment since the end of the Copa America and coming back from the winter break into the Brazilian season with losing the uh, five-point advantage they had at the top of the league and and then almost I mean, you know they got troubled by Godoy Cruz and then out to uh, to Gremio in the in the quarterfinals was not exactly what the doctor ordered for the uh, for the big green giant shall we say of Brazilian football but if you can snuff out Everton and I still think it's very easy to do that just keep him on his left foot. If you can stop him from cutting inside from that yeah. left flank, they haven't got a centre forward. You know, Andre, no. no. Diego Tardelli off the bench scored a wonder goal, but in the Libertadores earlier in the competition against Libertad, but no. Doesn't excite, he's too old. But I mean, it's interesting because Everton was linked to so many really, I mean, really big European clubs. And obviously he was, he was fabulous in the Copa America and it was off the back of that. And there were times when I wondered, I thought, I think he's really good, but I wondered quite how people think he could make that jump to like a, a top six, top eight club in one of the big European leagues. But then Palmeiras won the first leg 1-0. Uh, and in the, in the second leg at home, Palmeiras were 1-0 up. And in the space of five minutes, Everton has won Gremio the tie. He scored a, a fabulous goal from a tight angle, then set a, up a goal for Allison, who's a player I do actually really like. And in five minutes, he's knocked out Palmeiras. He's dragged his side by the scruff of the neck through. And, I mean, you say, you, I guess you could say you stop Everton, you stop uh, you stop Gremio, but Palmeiras couldn't do it. And uh, mm. yeah, what a platform for him, as well as collectively for his side individually. You know, if he were to, to produce a great performance against Flamengo over two legs and take his side to the final, I mean, you really would have European clubs hammering on the door then. This is where the discipline's going to come in for Flamengo in terms of they do need to prevent Felipe Luis and Rafinha flying forward like they will want to, like they want to always support the attackers. They've always done in European football when they've played. They're just going to have to settle things down. The The Spanish centre-back, Pablo Mari, uh, can come in and, and try and hold up as well. Uh, Rodrigo Caillou is, is very solid too. 
in that defensive line. But there, there's going to have to be an air of, all right, we can't let this front three start running wild and moving into acres of space. And and, and unlike the other game where I think we're going to see more of a one side push, pushing in River Plate and Boca kind of defending and holding them off at the gates, if you will. I think in this one, we're going to see two sides that really are itching to go forward and go gung-ho. Mm. And if they do that, that'll be fantastic. But they're also, I'm sure both managers will be stressing that we can't afford to do that against the firepower they've got uh, because of the likes of Gabby Gol, who is just a quality finisher at this level in South American football. I mean, at this level, he is very, very good, isn't he? I don't know whether, he, yeah, his goal the other night in the league was absolutely unbelievable, the little chip finish. And yeah, he's on crazy good form. And I mean, there's a lot of people, Lee, that would say that Bruno Henrique is the best player in the in the competition this year for Flamengo as well. Well, yeah, the creative masterclass of him, uh, De Arascaeta as well, the Uruguayan yeah. in the middle of the park. And, and that's where I think, though, when you start to look down the Flamengo kind of roster, not to again use a, a, an Americanism just there, but there is so much been more watching a lot quality. Of NFL recently. Uh, just a touch, just a touch. Uh, I may have stayed up for the uh, for the Monday night football <laughs> last night. Tired eyes here. It's hard work, kind of running running the world. I, I tell you, no, um, absolutely, all, all from the laptop. <laughs> but there there is quality as you run down the full length of this team, and there's adaptability as well in different game plans. And I'm not sure that Gremio have that same quality and, and adaptability when you look at their roster uh, if and I know we touched on it in the last semi-final in terms of the biggest battles going into this Walter Kahneman the Gremio centre-back can he do a one-on-one job against Gabby Gol? if he can and he's very I've really enjoyed Kahneman he's so useful at the uh, set pieces in terms of clearing and defensive headers he also likes to get forward for the set pieces obviously as well he's a big unit to be able to bring up from the back but if he can do a decent man marking job on Gabby goal, then you're going to have the chance to snuff out the other opportunities of Bruno Enrique, even Vitinho coming off the bench as well, who's very quick, of Arascaeta creating in the middle of the park. Then that can be all killed off by the other three centre-backs and perhaps the holding midfielders as well. That gives Gremio a really big chance. If he can't and they have to double up on Gabby goal, then you've got problems. <laughs> Only the thing I think I'm most surprised about is that you're committed to calling him Gabby Goal. I swear there was a time when you were adamant you wouldn't. But is it the more goals he scored, then you kind of, you're like, yep, you know what, he scores a lot of goals, Gabby Goal kind of works, I'm on the bandwagon. Yeah, I, I was very much off it earlier on. Yeah, It rolls off the tongue far too easily, actually. I, I've been annoyed <laughs> with does. myself at how quickly it's <laughs> come into the lexicon. Because Gabriel Barbosa is quite, or just Gabriel is a bit more of a mouthful. But um, yeah, I mean, Flamengo should win. But this Gremio side has passages where they just they could just flip ties in the blink of an eye. So, key man so is Everton. Knows? I take it is is that the it has the... to be? Yeah, I like Jean Pierre as well. I think he's kind of a really interesting player. I like players that have got kind of weird gates. You know the way like some <laughs> players run, like you know yeah. the way Raheem Sterling is on his tiptoes, and Iron Robin was a bit like that. And I've got I've got I've got a soft spot for players like that. And Jean Pierre just. He kind of glides around the pitch in a bit of a nonchalant way. And uh, yeah, I think it looks great. And he's a very tidy footballer as well. So Gremio are exciting, but I mean, Flamengo should win. They, they should win. They, they've got better players and they spent they spent all the money. Jean-Pierre lost me uh, the moment I saw his name on the team sheet because Jean-Pierre, as a Brazilian, was... obviously in Portuguese, <laughs> but spelt Pierre, P-Y-E-R-R-E, 
it's like a commentator's nightmare when you're scrambling around trying to find a... a, a you just go full French though, don't you? Yeah, well, that's the thing. But then it feels <laughs> so weird to be a player who speaks Portuguese in Brazil with a kind of a French accent on Jean-Pierre. Like, oh, just yeah. not having that. Not having that in <laughs> any way, shape or form. Um, and, and I guess the key man for Flamengo is is Bruno Henrique rather than Gabi Gol? Yeah, I think so. I think he's... Um... Yeah, I mean, he scored and assisted loads of goals in the in the tournament. Uh, and without without him, Gabriel Barbosa, uh, you know, he, he he needs that he needs that uh, that creativity just in the in behind from Bruno Enrique, who's given so much freedom just to move around as well. So, and for Jorge Jesus, I mean, what a, what a great story if a European could go and win the Libertadores, Oli. Yeah, I, I, it's been really interesting watching and listening to his interviews throughout the tournament of him kind of saying, "Yeah, we." We never spoke about this in Europe. It was never a thing. You you don't look across to the Libertadores and see what's happening, which is very narrow-minded of him, I may say. But he's come here and he's... But you're so saturated, aren't you, when you're in Europe? Especially if you're, wor- you know, if you're working in European football, you do get the blinkers on a little bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it, it's the same thing when you come here. In uh, When you're in yeah. South America, it's very easy to start you know, not paying attention to as much of La Liga and Serie A because you're suddenly looking at, all right, what's going on in Brazil? What's going on in Argentina? It's the it's the globalisation and saturation of world football. that and It's not difficult to keep in touch with what's happening at Leeds, though, in Argentina. Yeah, no, everybody loves Bielsa. <laughs> More than Pochettino yeah. as well. I, I found yeah. this all Pochettino very... Pochettino barely, barely gets a whisper on Argentine TV, Pochettino. Particularly as... You know, they've got Eric Lamella there as well. There's a little bit of an yeah. Argentinian contingent and you've got Lucas Moura, the Brazilian there. But no, it's all about Bielsa. And they've been cooing about Leeds winning the Fair Play Award in uh, the FIFA Fair Play Award in the last day or so as well. So, I mean, Bielsa just is beloved around here. That's been on telly a lot, I imagine, in Argentina, yeah? The, uh, what, the FIFA Fair Play? Uh, the FIFA yeah, Well, awards. yeah, Bielsa and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and Lionel Messi, obviously, generally gets sure, a, sure. He gets a page or two, I think, sometimes in the local rag. Like every yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <Squeezes> it. <laughs> so who'd you fancy then, Ollie? Uh first leg, Gremio at home. Yep. Let's go with a two one victory for Gremio. I think the big occasion yeah. stifles Flamengo, the expectation, and they have to go back to the American R and be spurred on. I'm gonna go two two first leg. I think oh. of the of the two ties, I think this is the Obviously, this is the one that you'd expect uh, there to be more goals. And yeah, I mean, I heard a lot of Flamengo fans have already kind of booked their tickets to Santiago and Chile where the where the final will be played. So they're super confident. For Gremio, they're here again in the semifinals, three straight semis. So I don't know. We'll see. What do you go with as a, uh, as a final? Because we're what, a week away from, a week and a day away from the start of the semifinals. Mm-hmm. What do you, at this point... Two teams to be battling it out in Santiago come the uh, mid-November final. River Flamengo for me, but that's kind of a safe choice because they're the they're the favourites. But I mean, you can't, yeah, I don't. I think it'll be River Flamengo. You, Boca Flamengo. I think it's like the good versus evil of football, the the free playing Flamengo against the the stuffling, stifling Boca defensive unit. Jorge Jesus, also, the European, against Alfaro, yeah, the old Argentinian. Yeah. And also, 
Boca, I mean, they can't let this opportunity slip, can they, for River? I mean, they might not play River in the Libertadores in, like, a knockout game for, for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years. You know, it's so... It doesn't, it's so rare, you know, it, throughout the history of the competition, the first time they met in the final last year. So for them to get this opportunity over too late, it's just so unexpected, I would say, from a Boca perspective. And they cannot, if they lose this, they, they cannot lose, surely. They could potentially not play River Plate until March 2020 as well. So the wounds... Yeah, because of the way the Superliga works and, yeah. The wounds will be open for a long time, potentially. Not just because of last year, but if they go out this year as well. If you're a Boca fan and you lose this, I think you um, you pack up and you go and live in, in Madrid or Barcelona for a year and, or ten years, and then you come back because I just don't know how I don't know how they'd recover from that. I hope Nico's listening. <laughs> He's on a boat boat somewhere. <laughs> He's been eyeing up North America already. He'll be starting yeah, to watch American exactly. football He's with me. The... Don't worry. <laughs> He's on the way out. Um, so yeah. Those are the two semi-finals. Should we have a little chat next next week, Ollie, after um after they're done and dusted? Yeah, the well, first legs? we'll have a, a little chinwag about it. We'll see what happened. I'll uh, I'll be staying up late for it. Don't you worry, mate. I'm looking out my window. At, I can literally see the season in London turning. So it feels like a very good time to be jumping on a plane uh, via via the northwest coast of Spain, actually. But uh, jumping on a plane to to South America because the rain is coming down. Dark grey clouds. Uh, yeah, so I'm pleased to be leaving. Uh, yeah, thanks for painting. Great Britain. Thanks for painting that picture of what I have to come back to. Cheers, Windsor. Thank you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great for you flying out as autumn comes in. I have to fly straight into it, the weather and the misery. Cheers, buddy. <laughs> nah, but you love it. You'll be flying the Union Jack when you walk off the aeroplane, Ollie. Of course, of course. <laughs> with the umbrella up, though. Skinhead with a Union Jack. That always looks good coming <laughs> off a plane. Always a pleasure to chat all things Libertadores with Mr. Windsor. You can download, subscribe, like and review the podcast on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, on Anchor.fm, which is our host, Spotify and many other podcast outlets as well. You can email the show, willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us all on Twitter. David Windsor is at David T. Windsor. That's at David T. Windsor. Myself is O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. Joel Richards and Peter Coates, who frequently join us on the show. Joel underscore Richards on Twitter. That's Joel underscore Richards. And Peter is Golazo Argentino. That's Golazo Argentino on Twitter. Use the hashtag LibertadoresPod to send us your questions via Twitter. Big thanks for listening to the podcast. Remember, it all kicks off on October the 1st, Wednesday night in Buenos Aires, 9.30pm, local time, River Plate against Boca Juniors, the Super Classico first leg before on the second, we have Gremio hosting Flamengo. We'll talk all of the action from the first legs in around about a week's time or so. Until then, enjoy the rest of the Copa Libertadores. (laughs) 